Welcome back to another episode of Chats with the Starving Artists. Thank you, thank you, thank you, those that are subscribing, those that are listening in, those that are leaving feedback and comments, everybody that's just let me know what your thoughts are of the podcast. Super, super grateful. Thank you for those uh, past creators that have even been on the podcast as well. Uh, I'm grateful as well. And we have some really, really exciting episodes in the works that I'm really, really looking forward to. So continue to listen, continue to subscribe. If you haven't subscribed already, please do so. Please leave some feedback on iTunes. And yeah, this is the next few weeks are going to be really, really dope. The next few episodes are going to be really, really dope. And I'm really excited today about the person that we have here. I'm really, really dope creative. I met this guy probably about a year ago through a mutual friend um, and Aunt Demby, who's also going to be on this one of these episodes one day, and Jesse Israel. And he's doing some really, really dope things here in New York City. Um, within the, the creative community, but just in the community in general in New York. So without no further ado, I just want to introduce uh, Jesse Israel from the Big Quiet and Medi Club uh, to the show. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, yeah. No problem, no problem. So real quick, tell us who you are, where you're from, what your background is, and what your creative discipline is. Sure, so uh, I'm from Los Angeles originally. Okay. I came to New York when I was 18. About 14 years ago, I came out here for to go to NYU. Mm-hmm. I was a film student, sophomore year. I started managing the band MGMT. They were a small college band. Mm-hmm. So while I was at film school, I got into the music biz, started a dorm room record label with my roommate, and we released MGMT's first album while we were also uh, in school. When I graduated from film school, I went and just did the label full time. Mm-hmm. And from the age of 20 to 29, um, my creative discipline really was in regards to working with talent, developing talent, distributing talent, um, in regards to uh, how it related to work, and specifically around how I was making a living. Um, and I had this great run, signing bands, throwing concerts. We eventually raised a technology fund. We were investing in startups and helping mm. them make sense of the music biz. Mm. It was it was great work. I learned a shit ton. We cursing on this podcast? Yeah, dude. dude. And. Um, uh, and and it just tons of growth. I mean, it was, it was it was really awesome. However, I had this other creative discipline mm. that started to come out while I was also in my twenties running the record label, and it was outside of the music biz. And that was around community building, bringing people together, creating meaningful shared experiences yeah. around purpose. And my first experience with that was through cheeseburgers. I had a cheeseburger club oh, that, that, that I organized in my early twenties. It was. 10 guys, we'd get together every other week. Mm. Our mission was to discover the best burger in the five boroughs. And we would blog <sighs> about it, we'd take photos, we'd have our fun, we'd rent cars, we'd cruise around. Uh, but what was happening at these gatherings wasn't just 10 men eating burgers and having beers. We also had space to talk about what was going on in our lives. Yeah. And we, we, we built a sort of brotherhood. Yeah. There was a bond that, was, that formed through those Burger Boys gatherings. Mm. And it meant more to me than anything else in my life in regards to what I was giving myself to creatively at the time. I loved having that sense of belonging and support and community. And I loved organizing it, I loved facilitating it. It felt like a gift. And it started to, the Burger Boys grew to other chapters. Yeah. To LA, wow. um, one popped up in Stockholm. And it was cool to see this thing working for other men. Um, I actually also went on to where we originally met through the Cyclones when the Burger Boys disbanded 
all the uh, about <laughs> half family. half the members half the members moved to other cities. Okay. Um, and I was looking at another way to bring people together where that connection could occur in a way that was fun, um, uh, ideally inclusive, and where it could be men and women, and where the canvas was big enough where it could be as many people as wanted to come. Yeah. Because we were limited with uh, with the Burger Club to to a reservation size. Yeah. So the Cyclones were born. Mm. I emailed. 20 friends that I knew that had bikes and said, do you want to start a bike gang? <laughs> I love it. 18 of them showed up on, uh, on a Saturday afternoon at the base of the Williamsburg Bridge. I didn't say where we were going. We just went on this group ride. We went to Cyclone, we went to Coney Island, we went on the Cyclones roller coaster. And on the way back as the sun was setting, we decided that we would be a bike club hmm. and that we would call ourselves the Cyclones. Because you rode the Cyclone. Yeah. And then by the end of that summer, we had hundreds of people showing up on these rides and we were cruising together. We were exploring the various boroughs, uh, supporting local businesses, having fun, bringing big speakers on our rides. People were falling in love, starting businesses together, forming best friendships. <laughs> and I loved leading that. I loved facilitating and creating that. Meanwhile, I was running this record label and this tech fund. And uh, those two sort of creative pursuits uh, ran in parallel. Mm -hmm. Shall I continue to where I am today? Or do you you sure? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, I think, right, like that's not where you currently are creatively. So like continue. Definitely. Great. So I wound up, uh, when I was 29, it was clear to me that um, the nine years that I spent working in music and the, the second half of that in technology, that uh, it was this great period of my life and it had come to an end. Mm -hmm. And it was time to step into the next chapter. It was, it was a very clear calling that it was time. I didn't know what was next, I had no idea. But I knew that when I was building community and bringing people together, if it was the Burger Boys, if it was Cyclones, there was something about facilitating that permission for people to connect yeah. that felt in line with purpose. It felt in line with, with a gift that I felt like I was given or had developed, and that's why I was on this earth. Yeah. Straight up, so um, I, knew, I knew it played a role in, in some of this. I left the company. It was a really emotional and challenging period. I'd been there for nine years. The only thing I knew in regards to work, business partners, you know, were, were really close friends. You know, we had this beautiful office. It was a really challenging transition, mm -hmm. especially because that was a startup. I didn't have a ton of savings. I had some, and I had no clear plan in regards to what was next. Um, what I did have, though, was a meditation practice that I had been uh, that I had in my life since my early twenties. And that meditation practice gave me the clarity and the courage to say, I'm going to follow my intuition and move on and take that leap. Yeah. Um, so I did. And I traveled for a little while. I gave some of my energy to the Cyclones in a way that I couldn't before. We started a nonprofit where we raised a bunch of money to create a bike share program for uh, rural children in Tanzania who had to walk 20 miles to get to school. Now they had bikes to share. Mm. And we also built a... Um, a a bike, a, a bike shop in a rural area of Tanzania, Cyclones mm -hmm. Bike Shop, owned by and operated by local women, yeah. where they could repair and rent bicycles. It was this really just fun, sick, purpose-driven initiative. And I was, you know, out of this job that was great, but I was sort of ready to move on from. And you know, it felt good. And then all of a sudden, it got cold. It was December 2014. Yeah, Bike Club Cyclones took a break, and I was like, oh. and then it really hit me. I was like, oh, what am I going to do? Yeah. It's like I haven't been, you know, I don't have work culture, I don't have community culture. I wasn't, you know, I'd been several years since I was in school. This is my first time in New York, just like straight up spinning my wheels. Mm. And it was, it was, it was really t upsetting, it was terrifying, it was challenging. 
And this is a, it was a situation I put myself in. Yeah. And it's a situation that's great to be in, to be able to be in a situation where you can make a decision around what you want to do next in your life and not have to worry about work for a couple months. What a great, like, what a lucky position. However, it can be scary. I, I, was, I was totally, yeah, I mean, in context, in New York, hanging out with my friends who are very entrepreneurial and successful and active and driven, I felt worthless. And the comparison that I was going into and the fear around the unknown and just sort of this general uncertainty that sort of just covered me, it was so uncomfortable. And it, 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 it sort of pushed me to this place where I started talking to friends, people I respected, and would ask what they thought my gifts were. And I was looking for, for clues or something. <laughs> so I was getting, I was getting- Cause you really, wanted to find the direction that you wanted, yeah. the next direction. I was committed and I, and I was, and it was really cool. Again, like it was such a great situation to be in. I was getting pretty rad job offers in the music and tech worlds mm. where, where I'd established myself professionally, but I knew that that wasn't, that, that, was, that wasn't the next thing for me. Yeah. You know, I, I turned down uh, an, inc an incredible offer at, 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 at one of the most innovative companies. It was like a dream job. Mm. Um, and I made the decision because I felt committed to, you know, unlocking that purpose. Yeah. I also want to say that I put a ton of pressure on myself mm -hmm. to identify purpose. Mm -hmm. And I really was tough on myself. I felt like I needed to know. And I see this a lot now that my work is sort of based around purpose. You know, I would, there's a pressure around know your purpose, which can be unhealthy, I think. Yeah. I think that there's something really beautiful about, you know, being in discovery of unlocking purpose. Yeah. Um, anyways, chat about that more later. So I was in this period where I'm asking people for, for you know, input on my gifts. And what I was hearing was, you're a community builder. You've got a unique way of leadership. You have the ability to be a mirror for others. You're willing to reflect what's going on in your life for people to see themselves in you and remind others that we're all the same. Yeah. We're all going through the same shit. So you were like asking people kind of how like Donald Trump's asking his friends, like, what do you think? <laughs> kidding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where do you think you got it from? <laughs> all right. <laughs> and it was cool. I would hear that and I'd be like, oh, that's great. But like, how am I going to do my billion dollar startup? Right. You know? Um, and I didn't take it seriously until finally in the state of isolation, I was like, look, I, I, wanna, I need to do some experiments here. Um, I was looking at those gifts that people were identifying that I agreed with in passions. How could I blend the two together? Yeah. And it, like I said, it was too cold to ride bikes. Burger Boys had disbanded. I was hungry for a community. I felt isolated. So the first Medi Club happened with 20 people. Mm -hmm. The idea was, you know, I had, I had friends and colleagues that were interested in meditation or were learning meditation. People I knew from the music industry, the tech businesses, the places I was going out at night, people were curious. So we got 20, 20 people together. My buddies laughed in Soho. We did our first Medi Club. Mm -hmm. We all kind of got there. I had a cool playlist going. We sat down at the loft, a little uncomfortable. No one had really meditated with each other before. They'd only kind of like got into it on their own. Yeah. Maybe that one of them goes to the Buddhist center, one of them went to TM, but no one had done it like with a group of peers like that. Yeah. We closed our eyes and it was vulnerable to share quiet with people that are so active and busy and that I know socially. And when we came out of it, it was refreshing to have shared that with a group of people. Mm -hmm. And I, sh I, I felt sort of compelled and also I was encouraged by other people leading into this to share about what I was going through yeah. in regards to my own process. And I shared about my fear around work and money and purpose and the pressure I was putting on myself. And, um, and, uh, and then I opened it up to the room and said, what do you think? 
but you know, I've never talked about this stuff. And I really talked about the self before with these people that I know, mainly from socializing and work. And, you know, someone else chimed in. Mm -hmm. They said, I, this is how I can relate and I can relate in a major way. And then someone said the same thing. And then someone shared their example, how it related to their relationship. And someone said, I related to their career and one person, their creative passion. And all of a sudden we were just connecting in this deep way, having a conversation about the self that was so true. Yeah. And that was so real. And it was so refreshing to be able to connect in that way for all of us. Yeah. In that moment, it was very clear. And I still remember in that moment, it was very clear. I was like, this has something major to do with my purpose. This yeah. has something major to do with my creative expression. And this is this has something to do with why I'm on this earth. Yeah. I didn't know what or, or what it would be or how. I just it just I just felt it. And afterwards people were so appreciative uh, of that experience. There are actually people at the Medi Club last night that mm -hmm. you were at that were at that first one. Mm -hmm. Been there, you know, it's been over two years. Um, people express to me their appreciation to have space to, to really connect and talk about things that they can't really talk about. Yeah. It was almost like it felt more meaningful to people than the meditation. Mm -hmm. But the meditation is what brought the people in. Right. So then we put on the playlist again and we had some great food and we kicked it and you know people didn't want to leave. Yeah. So a month later we did it again and this time in the same way that the cyclones grew, people told their friends and there was 35 people. And a similar thing, we had, a sh we had a meditation, we had the share, we had the same sort of ingredients of like it was built in and sort of set up in a very modern way. It didn't feel too weird or woo-woo-y. Yeah. It kind of met people at the level that they're at living in Manhattan or wherever they live in the, in the five boroughs. And uh, five or six months later, this loft that we, were, that we were doing these meetings at was filling up. Mm -hmm. And we realized that there was an opportunity to take those values of MediClub and share them with the city in a larger capacity. Right. So that's how the Big Quiet was born. I was on the, I was on the board of Summer Stage. I, I still am on the Arts Committee of Summer Stage. And I presented to them this idea of allowing MediClub, at the time as a community of a couple hundred people, uh, allowing MediClub 90 minutes to host a mass meditation at Summer mm. Stage before Jungle <clears throat> and eBay perform, these two bands that I loved, who were already set and scheduled to perform at, at Summer Stage. And, uh, the person who was running Summer Stage at the time, named Ian Noble, who's mm -hmm. since become a, a big friend and a great, great supporter of the Big Quiet, he went for it. He took a risk, and he, he, him, and, and several other people who work at Summer Stage agreed to give us 90 minutes to do this thing, fully staffed, free. They gave us 1,500 spots. Nice. And um, and the Medi Club community made it happen. I mean, it's like people worked on the social media, people worked on the, the PR campaign, people worked on the production logistics at the yeah. venue, and we, you know, it rained, but 500 people came through. Sick. All the spots filled up, but 500 people actually came through in the rain, meditated. The rain cleared, the sun came out. There was these great performances. People kicked it, and then eBay and Jungle performed. And all these other people came into the venue. It was a really cool experience. That's sick. So I want to real quick. So you would say your your form of creativity then is now creative building or or um, building or creating community. Community building. Community building. That's okay. one. I'd say one element of it. Okay. Okay. Not to box you in, but just so that there's a little bit of context. I think mm -hmm. you just you gave a, and that you kind of answered a lot of things that I probably already would have asked, but and kind of giving how you got to where you are now. But I just wanted to give context so people understand uh, a lot of the creative work that you're doing. And even, I want to go back a little bit. Do you think that some of that 
building or, or creatively building or community building where do you think that came from is that something outside of like the the burger boys right uh or is that what's called burger boys so before burger boys is that something that you were doing in la as a kid growing up mm -hmm. or you know is that something that's kind of always been there and you didn't really know it until some of these people that you were soliciting feedback from like pointed that out or like how, where did that come from yeah it's it's something that started when i was when i was a child mm -hmm. um, i always had an ability to lead groups of friends and it became an issue when I was in fourth and fifth grade um, because uh, of an ability that I had to rally my fellow students to create trouble. <laughs> and, it, and, it, and, it, and it accelerated as an issue in eighth grade. Mm. At this point when I had the blonde tips <laughs> popping off, I was on, I was, it was, we were on an eighth grade retreat. Mm -hmm. They separated all the, all the boys from the girls in two different cabins. And it was 2 a.m. and I was upset that they, they didn't allow us to uh, be together under one roof. Yeah. Naturally, right? Right, that's whack. It's whack. I mean, I understand it, right? But it's <laughs> whack when you're in eighth grade. I, you're like, not. Nah. Of course. No, it just didn't feel right. <laughs> and I had, a, I had a little, like, uh, it's called Talk Boy. It was oh, the, the from, voice recorder yeah, from, from Home Alone. Yeah. Oh, man. So I was, I was ripping on that and I was going to each of all the, all the boy students were all like, in, you know, they're all like in their sleeping bags. And I was being like, can you believe the teachers <laughs> separating us? What do you think about this? We're being suppressed. And, uh, and you know, the segregation, I was like, words I didn't even know. <laughs> and, I, and I was able to create this sort of black ops mission where all of us got out of our sleeping bags, with like flashlights in our teeth, crawling through the woods on our bellies got to the girl's cabin and like kicked the door open and it just went nuts. And the teachers went nuts. And they put us back in the cabin and they said, if we hear a sound from anybody, if we see a single flashlight, you're sleeping with the teachers. So everyone was terrified. And I whipped at the talk boy again, did my whole little spiel again. <laughs> and said on the count of three, let's make as much noise as possible and let's let our lights go crazy. And we'll just, you know, it'll be a giant middle finger to the teachers. And we did one, two, three, and we just went nuts. And the teachers, they felt so out of control. And they got my talk boy, and they got the tape, and they listened to the whole thing. And they realized <laughs> that I was at the core of it, and I got two years behavior and probation. As a result of that, if I got in trouble one more time, I'd get expelled. So I really, it actually really sort of suppressed and shifted that, that creative expression for yeah. me. Yeah, it was a challenging period. Things shifted for me in a major that's way whack. at that point. But I do think that's where it came from. What, what were you into like before were you I mean you studied film I didn't even know you studied film that that's, I think that's sick like at NYU like that's that's dope so were you into kind of like audio and visual technology and so like you had the talk boy I would love yeah. I, mean, I wish those tapes like I wish you still had that tape yeah. like, that would be crazy to like, oh, listen to no. right now <laughs> like being at 30 so like oh, man like listening to your talk boy at 14 13 14 would have been crazy oh, so sick <laughs> but uh, were, did, was that always like an interest of yours? And that is that how, what got you to NYU to study film? Yeah. Okay. I always I always loved capturing moments mm -hmm. through whatever gizmos I get my hands on. So mm -hmm. as early as I can remember, I had like the giant family uh, video recorder, um, and I was making films with my buds. Uh, I was editing using VCR to VCR. I was doing stop motion. I learned how to do that. College. Yeah, I mean. Crazy love my stop motion 
So yeah, and I, I was I was pretty hooked on that, and that's probably when I first started experiencing flow state. Actually, mm. wasn't through sports as much for me. It was when I was editing, is when I was filming, it's when I was creating and expressing myself that way. Yeah, yeah. So you, I feel like you know, I think the dope part is like for me, right? It's just kind of my train of thought. I look at you as a, I look at you as a creative, but people that probably come to the community gatherings and the gatherings that you put together wouldn't. They'd be like, oh, that's creative because he thought about the idea, but mm. they wouldn't think of you as mm. like a person in a creative discipline. You know what I mean? And I think you giving the context of where you've come from, it's always been there. And then even like talking about some of your your, your music industry experience, right? Uh, starting a label, managing a band, managing multiple acts, I assume, as well. Um, you kind of have to be creative in how you, because I, I was doing talent management as well. You have to be creative in... Number one, how you can help elevate these people, but then also like the different sort of opportunities and the ways that you can make them different. Like listening to, uh, he's he's an amazing person to listen to and I just align with him a lot. Like uh, Shep Gordon, mm. you know, uh, the way he thought, like his strategy of like wanting to make Alice Cooper somebody like major, you know what I mean? But then also like I, I gravitate to a person like Charles Eames and it looks like we're sitting in like his mm -hmm. silhouette of a chair. Right. Just because like he created things and did like, you know what I mean? He created experiences beyond just one sort of thing, beyond the chair that he created. And then he right. teamed up with his wife, Ray Eames. And like, like he's like one of my sort of like iconic creative people that I look up to. But I think it's dope that you kind of have, you've always been doing it. So why not go when you were at NYU, why not go film and you want music, like did you just totally abandon all the stuff that you were doing and what your goals were when everything kind of launched in your dorm room? Great question, man. I I just felt so called to continuing to build this thing that had sort of fallen into our laps, mm -hmm. that being MGMT and the record label. And I saw so many creative ways to plug into it that, that, that I felt um, celebrated my creative gifts. Yeah, and you know, at a basic level, I produced all the music videos that Cantora did for the first several years, and that mm. was that was a, that was a blast. Mm. Um, but I, you know, I, I loved being involved with our release strategies, with our marketing strategies, uh, with a lot of video content, with with um, creative design. And I wound up doing all of the creative creative direction essentially at the label for the for nine years, and I grew and I grew into this role where I just loved working with designers yeah uh, building decks building websites building marketing plans um, so 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 anyway so but, but back to your question it, it, that was that was a, a thing that I could give to and build whereas with film um, it was it just it wasn't as much in my sort of immediate wheelhouse it wasn't speaking to me as much and I felt fine to sort of take this other route even though I had this love for film. What I've come to learn since then is that everything that I do, especially with community building, mm -hmm. revolves around and relies on storytelling. Absolutely. And that was one thing that, one of the major things that I learned through filmmaking, mm -hmm. starting when I started making kid films when I was a kid, was how do you get a story across? Yeah. How do you do it in a way that speaks to a heart? How do you do it in a way that creates action in someone? Exactly. A lot of people don't, because a lot of my experience is, is working in like the marketing and working, a lot of my clients I work with sometimes are brands or CMOs or whoever, so it's marketing people. And I think that in the last few years, that's become more, storytelling has become more key 
in a lot of marketing or advertising strategies. Um, but then to your point, right, it's like when you come to this one place, and that's how I look at storytelling now as well, like from a personal perspective, it's like what sort of story are you going to tell about your life, mm. you know? Um, I, don't, I can't remember his name off, off top, but you think about the guy that created Patagonia. Mm. You know what I mean? Like he has a sick, sick ass story. You know, and he, that story, and he has a, because he has a hundred year plan, it's not just like, hey, I'm going to create these clothes and this thing. Like, there's an opportunity for you to, like, sell the clothes back. And you know what I mean? Though, I just saw something in, in Entrepreneur Forbes, like, last week about it. I think it's really, really dope. But I think, I think what you're doing is dope. So, fast forward to where you are now. And if you can, in one sentence, just tell for those, you, you explained a little bit of what the experience is, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I get it because I go. In like a sentence or two, can you explain MediClub? What is MediClub? And sure. what is the big quiet? Yeah, Medi so MediClub is a, is a community of several thousand New Yorkers. Uh, we come together to share meditation, to learn about and support each other's passions and projects, and to have the space to talk about the things that we don't usually have the space to talk about. And we do those gatherings and sort of build on those values in this community in, in three ways. There's our core monthly MediClub mm -hmm. happening, which is the first week of every month. It's about yeah. 200 people. That's what we had last night. We have a circles program, which is run by members of the community. It's self-organized and sort of decentralized from the core. It's run by individuals who come to MediClub and they are 10 to 20 person circles that exist in people's homes in a bunch of different neighborhoods on a weekly basis. Yeah. And then at the largest, outlet of this uh, community ecosystem, we have the Big Quiet, uh, which has continued to grow since that first summer stage Big Quiet that I mentioned earlier. Um, and at the Big Quiet, we have mass moments of meditation and culture. And it centers around uh, a, a moment of meditation. And then we introduce musicians, uh, upcoming musicians, string musicians, choirs, DJs, and we do these big quiet events for thousands of people, sort of any level of meditation experience. And what makes them extra special is that we do big quiets at iconic locations, places where you Absolutely. would think that people would come together to meditate. Our most recent and ninth big quiet, which uh, was a couple weeks ago, I know you were there. Yeah. Is, uh, the World Trade Center, the One World Observatory, top three floors of the World Trade, yeah. highest, uh, you know, the top point of the tallest building in the Western Hemisphere. 1,100 people, hundreds of thousands of people viewed in from live stream. It was a cool moment. Yeah, how, so how, how old are you now, Big Quiet MediClub? Big Quiet uh, MediClub's been around for over two years, right. maybe like two years and a couple months. And then we're coming up on our two-year anniversary of the Big Quiet um, in June. So I'm wondering, I mean, maybe we can talk about that offline, but like then, the 10th one, I, th I imagine, is the 10th one gonna be that? Is it gonna be the 10th one that's the two year anniversary or is it gonna be the 11th? Oh yeah, the 10th one will be our two year anniversary. That's sick. Yeah. That's sick. So I, I, so while you're building this, right? So you talk about, came out of NYU, while in NYU started uh, this management company, started a record label, managed this band, did a bunch of rad stuff, got out of NYU. Did you graduate from NYU? Yeah. Okay, graduated NYU solely focusing on that mid-20s, then start getting into like more tech sort of endeavors, music tech, putting those things together, yep. starting your own your own fund. And then in your 20s, you just realize like, I'm good on it. And so now two years for MediClub, almost two years for Big Quiet, you, you, you said that it's a community of thousands of people. 
you guys are consistent in how you program and how you activate the experiences. What's been the biggest challenge, number one, like building that up, right? But then number two, like it, within that challenge, like how have you managed to kind of have the support? Because you do it in a very, very, in my opinion, I think you do it in a very, very organic way where people want to be a part of it. But I, I just attribute that to like, you've already, step one, created a dope sort of experience mm -hmm. and platform to an extent for people. So like, what are the challenges that you face in building this up in the last two years? Like in MediClub and actually going on your own sort of journey of like pursuing, and I, you know, you said that earlier of pursuing your purpose. Like what's the biggest sort of thing that stuck out as a challenge? It's just like, ah, oh, man. And you share some of it sometimes at MediClub, but just maybe there's some things that haven't even been shared that, that's, that aren't too personal. Um, but I just want to just get an idea of like, you know, you, you, you talked about last night, you had a sick loft. Because I want a loft right now, so I'm like envisioning like what that looks like, you know? But I want a loft so that I can have it where I can live there, but also use it as a space to give back to the creatives and have like a studio there if you want to come shoot, if you want to need, need to record music or do whatever. Like that's the type of thing that I want to have, right? But I love lofts because I just like open raw spaces. But, you know, so like you left all that and like, you know, now it's so what's been the biggest challenge? It's a long question, by the way. Sorry. All good, man. I mean, the biggest challenge, that question right there. Um, there have been, it's, 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 it's crazy the amount of challenges that have come up over the past two years. I mean, it's every, every month or two, there's a new massive challenge, leadership, learning, personal dilemma, feels like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's great. It's like, I feel like since I left, the, left my company, and started doing this work, I, I, I signed up for like rapid learning and challenges, constant. Yeah. And it just so happens that the work that I do through the Big Quiet Medic Club sits on my biggest trigger points. It sits on my, it sits on my greatest fears. Mm. My greatest fear particularly around being not liked. Mm. Now, I could speak to the challenge of how I've dealt with getting in front of groups of thousands of people where you are gonna have people that don't like you, who are gonna judge you, yeah. not agree with what you're doing or how you're doing it, and, and what that looks like. That's something we can get into. But it's not my, my current challenge. Yeah. My current challenge, uh, by the way, that little, let me reframe, that challenge is sort of ongoing. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but I, I've made great progress through stepping into that discomfort and experiencing that. Um, I'd say the biggest challenge right now for me is is staying remembering of the why behind the work that I do right now. Mm. I don't do this work for the career. I don't do I don't do this work for the loft or for the money. Yeah. However, those things are important to me. However, I, I, it, it is important to me that that, th that those elements, having a home that yeah. feels good, having money, being able to have a have enough savings so I could support a family one day. This is important stuff to me, but it's not the why. When I left that, when I left my, my previous company, I made a commitment to give myself to, to my why, and to give myself to a greater need. You know, the why behind this work that I do right now is, you know, there's a couple pieces to it, but it's essentially, it's to bring people together so they can more deeply connect with each other, yeah. with themselves and with each other, so they can support one another in giving themselves to their greatest gifts. Because yeah. that process that I went through, so tough. 
And I really believe that the most sustainable way that it can happen at scale is through a supportive community where people help each other do that. This is about empowering people through community. It's not Jesse empowers individual, Jesse empowers individual. It's, it's how can I take sort of this passion of mine to bring people together and empower people and, and turn it into a platform that allows others to empower each other. Yeah. To me, when that, when, when that work happens, and I'm already seeing it start to happen, when that work happens and people really step into their power and really start to give their gifts to the world, to me, that's how you create solutions to the world's greatest problems, which is, I think, what, what we really need right now. Absolutely. You know? Um, so the big challenge, the biggest challenge for me right now, to go back to the question, is staying connected and remembering of what I just told you. Because mm-hmm. just talking about it right now on this podcast, I'm fired up. I'm like, fuck yeah, that's why I do what I do. Yeah. That's why I gave that's up the loft. That's why I have you know, a much more modest living situation. Absolutely. I'm in and, the same and situation. Why, yeah, you feel me? And that's why it's great. It's like, of course I'll make that exchange. This is amazing. However, living in the world that I live in, in this society, in this very sort of privileged way of, of coming up in the world, which I'm very grateful for, um, it's very tough to stay connected to the why. It's very tough to stay remembering. First of all, it's very tough to connect with that in the first place. I'm lucky that I feel grateful that I can even have that clarity, but to stay connected to that is so tough because in society, in the way that I was raised, I grew up in LA, private school, you know, that whole, that whole story, um, and living now in Williamsburg and running with such a sort of successful entrepreneurial crew, um, there, you know, the model, the system that I, that I sort of operate in Mm-hmm. from a societal standpoint really feels like it's directed at these these tangibles outside of the self it's 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 about money it's about class yeah it's about uh, power it's about recognition I understand all of that for sure I have issues with all those things that I just said right um, but it does feel like the challenge for me is saying hey you don't need those things. You don't need. You don't need those things to define you, Jesse. Yeah. As a person, you don't need those things to feel fulfilled. You don't need those things to power what you do. Actually, what this boils down to is having clarity around who I am. Period. Full stop. This is. This is for me. This. This challenge is about staying connected to that. To that state of being. Yeah. That that me. That meanness. <laughs> yeah. No. And knowing that when coming from there, whatever the action is or whatever the outcome is, as long as I'm coming from there, I'm fucking good. Yeah. Staying connected to that is my biggest challenge. Mm. So what's what's like a day to day like within that? And actually, I don't even want to ask you that question. I want to within that challenge. I want to understand in the last two years for everything, and then even like starting at Burger Boys, and then Cyclones, and now Medi. Uh, Medi, Big Quiet. Is it like, is Medi, Big Quiet, are they two separate things? Is it the same thing? Can you clarify that? Figuring it out. Okay. Okay. So within that's why, that. That's why you're uh, going to be a part of the focus group later tonight because okay. we're trying to figure out the best way to communicate it. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Perfect. So within that, getting to where you are, we talk about this like, because I have, I, there's some episodes that are like solo and I'll just kind of talk about, I look at the, the management work that I did. Um, and the people I was able to work with and help them elevating their brand creatively. Um, and that's sometimes like one-on-one consultations because I, I didn't want to manage and be responsible for anybody anymore so I got out of that game. Um, so, but I wanted to still help. I wanted to, to help people. I wanted to help the creatives and really, I think that create, creatives are undervalued. 
in a lot of ways, not just monetarily, but like the things that the creative community actually adds to society mm. and culture. And not culture like, oh, culture, like the Migos and DJ Khaled are talking about, but like actual like culture, acculturation, enculturation. Um, and so in these, in these like solo episodes at times, I'll talk about, like one of the things you talk about is goals. So for you to get to the different places that you've got to, how big has like goal setting? Has, has that played a big part um, in, in just you reaching and accomplishing the goals uh, or the things that you want to accomplish? Or, you know, are you just kind of, you just kind of freestyle it and just get challenges? How, what, what's your, what's that sort of uh, start to finish like? Is it goal setting or no? It's, it hasn't been for me. I've been, I've been I'm, I'm open to learning more about, about goal setting work. What I've found is that it's challenging for me. Set, setting goals is challenging for me, specific, probably because of how I look at goals, which is it's, it's tough for me to, be, to have ease and flexibility with a goal. And I feel like ease and flexibility is so important because creation happens in this way that is totally unpredictable. And that goals can lead to suffering when the creation starts to unfold and it's not mm. in line with the plan or the goal. Mm. Uh, I've studied the Veda quite a bit. Mm. I practice Vedic meditation. Mm -hmm. And so much of, of the sort of Vedic worldview is going to come from my non-teacher articulation. So, you know, no, disclaimer. <laughs> um, comes from living a life that is, uh, that is powered by a compass. A compass that is my intuition, my charm. Mm -hmm. and, uh, what, and what I've sort of worked on over the past several years of my life, especially the more that I've been practicing meditation, is um, allowing myself to trust that compass of intuition, allowing myself to, to uh, have that intuition be my guiding force, despite logic, despite what I'm getting told otherwise or what society may suggest. But if there's something if there's a fine level of feeling that it sort of leads me towards something, that I follow it. And what I've found is that when I, if I set goals, a lot of times, uh, if I'm too tight with the goals, then I start to get stuck in, but I got this goal here, but my intuition is saying go here. Mm. Now, I think the solution for me is, is, to, is to sort of shift some of these terms around a little bit. What I think is really powerful and what, and what comes from goal setting is having an intention. Mm -hmm. Getting clear about an intention, what something is, why you want it, or why you want, or why you're going to do that, I think that is critical. So, would you say your intentions are then your goals, almost? I think the way because that you kind of it seems I've like you define those versus defining, all right, get this in yeah. six months, get this in twelve months. Yeah, I think that's it. It's maybe it's, it's a looser way of communicating what a goal is. It's mm -hmm. it's a it's a clear intention. And, and but not getting so caught up in, in specifically the details of how I'm going to get there and the details specifically of when I'm going to get there. Mm. That when on a goal, I find creates tons of suffering. Mm. Um, I know this is not for everybody. No, so, that's an interesting way to look at it. And this, all, this also comes from some of, some of the teachers that I've worked with in the, uh, while learning the Veda. And, and that, that really resonates. I think without the intention, it's easy to just kind of waft and, you know, and, and, and cruise around. I think that's, that's fine. We have periods in our time, periods in our life where there's not going to be that clarity. But when we're able to be clear about intention and put it out to the universe, I think that's very great. How we get there, I think we need to be flexible and trusting. So for those, do you write down the intentions at all or no? Yeah. Okay, because I'm, I, I, so when I, in the goal setting episode, yeah. it's, it's probably like 10, 15 minutes. It's, it's pretty short. But 
I look at goals as you essentially writing a contract within yourself. Mm -hmm. So it's a way that one can hold themselves accountable. And then I also kind of talk about the ways that, you know, the different sort of goals that you can have. So, right, like if you're like, hey, I want to get this loft back, or let's just hypothetically say that that's a goal. Um, being able to put short, mid, and long-term goals in the place to get that. Now, the contract comes, I guess, if you do sort of put a time frame on that goal. So if you're like, I want to get this loft again by May 2019, you know, then from there, like, it becomes a little bit easier almost to attain, if you will, and not to, like, just get it as a thing, but if you're like, all right, May 2019, so then by December, I need to have, by December of 2017, I, need, I should be in this place. By, you know, March of 2018, I should be in this place. And, you know, just kind of putting and really kind of setting aside, like, sort of feasible milestones sure. to get there. And that's just kind of how I personally look at goals. Sure. And when I work with people as well, it's just kind of like, what's your goal and how can we get there? So now with you telling me what your goal is, we're now going to hold you accountable to that to get right. there. Right. Right? Right. right. And then but in that process, being open to what you said, um, can can naturally or organically sort of develop creatively, um, and then I think within what well, the reason I asked is if, if you write your intentions down as well, is I, you know, I believe that, and I, I think I talked about this in the goal episode as well. Once you write something down, it's a vibration that you're sending and creating into the universe, and from there, you know, the universe will transpire to make it happen in some way shape or form right now but like that's not saying that, like you just write this down i'm gonna get this loft and it's just gonna fall into your lap like there's still some work that you have to do similar to you know in certain sort of uh, uh faith teachings uh especially specifically like the bible there's a, a a passage of scripture that says like faith without works is dead and you can interpret that however many ways you want to interpret that but i just kind of look at that as like all right i'm going to have faith but i know i also need to put some work in you know, put some sweat equity in there and, and to make this happen and while still believing that it's going to happen without any form of doubt, you know what I'm saying? So it's interesting to learn about your sort of process to get where you are. And I think that that's dope that your form of goal setting is more intention. And so I think that that intention drives into the passion and the purpose mm. of your work um, creatively. And it just kind of all seems to work together. And I would love to kind of see where you're at in a couple months, a couple years, whatever and your sort of viewpoint on goals you know mm -hmm, and sure. even even in this dialogue i think you're looking at goals a little different you know coming to the place of saying like okay intentions could potentially be goals right and sure it's all whatever it means to you or to the next person whatever you know whatever the case may yeah be. okay interesting i we talk i talk a lot about just in, in my work and something i'm kind of moving forward with this year and you touched on it earlier again going back to the people that i work with a lot of times clients or or even creative and uh, this thing I've been kind of saying is risk versus reward is the new ROI and I say that because in my marketing experience everything is always sort of like everything has to be measured what sort of KPI can we put behind this or how is this going to affect our bottom line how is this going to help us sell cases move cars whatever the case may be and so to me yeah like for long-term growth yes you do want to be able to sort of put a measurement in place to do that but at the same time if you're just looking at numbers all the time and you're not taking any risk there's not really any place to grow um, and you talk about like taking a risk not only in leaving you know the label um, and just going in a different direction like 
but just it seems like you took a risk when at 13 14 in eighth grade to you know bust down the doors and and go into the girl's cabin so just over the span and and even more recently over the span of your life how big has like risk versus reward been to you and, and you know have have the rewards sort of paid out to what the risks have been um you talk a little bit about that and just yeah. your experience in taking risks because I'm, I'm a risk taker every day i do whatever i can to take a risk but you can share just a little oh, bit. i'd love to man it's a great question it goes back to what i was saying before about the sort of intuition compass mm. or what i would refer to as charm mm. there's a fine level of feeling that comes up inside of me when it comes to doing something yeah so uh this feeling was coming up inside of me the last year at my record label, and it was it was this feeling that was saying, it's time to move on. It's time mm -hmm. to just take that leap. There was no logic I could attach to it. No logic I could attach to it. But the feeling was strong. And that'll that'll happen in other in, in other in other ways. It'll pop up in other ways in my life. I'll get I'll get a strong sense of charm to make a decision that doesn't make any sense. Or a strong sense of charm, you know, to go on this trip that I was invited on, but I don't have a, really have the funds and I don't really know the people, but there's this thing that's saying, follow this. Yeah. What, what I, what I, I I'm, not, I'm, I'm not flawless with this, but what I really work towards is, is, is following that charm, following that, letting that be the compass. And what that almost always leads to is taking risk. Because what, what happens with charm and with, and with following charm or intuition, everyone I refer to it, it often means going against the calculated outcome, the safe plan, the thing that you can logically weigh out and say, okay, but does it make sense if I do this when I consider that? Da, 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 da. Right? A lot of times following charms means means taking risk. And what I've never what I can what I can definitely tell you is there's never been a time a time where I've where I've acted on that charm, where I've taken that risk, and it hasn't led to something that's evolved me. Yeah. Allowed me to grow in some sort of rapid and colorful way. I can't say that every time I've, I've, I've said yes to charm, it's been easy or it's been beautiful or it's been successful, but it's always evolved me in this rapid way, in this evolutionary way, Yeah, which I think is, is, is kind of at the foundation of what you're talking about. It's like, how can you really create if you're always focused on reward, on outcome, on planning? So yeah, for me, taking risk as it correlates to charm is my way of living. Yeah. Has to be. I, I'm on that same page, man. Yeah. You know, how when you take risks, have you had? I talk a lot about community and collaboration. So, in your risk taking, how important has community and collaboration been to you? And like, have you had the support of your family, your brothers, sisters, parents, uncles, aunts, whoever? Are these people when you take these risks? Are they like backing you and fully supporting, or are they kind of like? And I don't want to say hating, right? Or right. are they just kind of like questioning it? Like, hmm, <laughs> I don't know. How how important have community played and even collaboration played into like the risks that you take and just the outcomes that you've kind of gotten to now so such a great question man it's it's played a really big role i've been i've been very very lucky to have such supportive family and friends mm. and you know look at the work that i'm doing like yeah like now we've got some momentum now we've got some cool validating things that we can point to but when i was you know first giving myself to this work i mean it was it was i was raising eyebrows family members uh, friends, lot, lots of people, <laughs> and um, uh, I, you know, my family has pretty much always been supportive. There was one moment that I'll share that um, was very in, sort of influential in in, in this in this process, um, 
where my parents sort of questioned what I was up to and sort of their lack of support started to shake me a bit. Mm. Um, but for the most part, if I didn't have the friends that believed in me, who expressed that they believed in me, if I didn't have this community, like early days Medi Club, and I was really kind of confused about what was happening, people would approach me with their appreciation for what was being built and with their support and with their help. I mean, the big quiet would not exist if people hadn't stepped up and said, hey, I want to help in this way, or hey, I want to support you in this way, or I want to support this greater thing in that way. And um, uh, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today yeah. if it wasn't for a supportive community and supportive people in my life. Mm. What are you inspired by? I'm, I'm, I'm deeply inspired by individuals that operate from authenticity. Mm. Mainly because it's become such a challenge for me to do that because I've, I'm sort of unlearning 32 years of operating in a way that's sort of manicured to making sure that everybody likes me and how I'm perceived. And I'm slowly letting go of that and saying, it's okay, not everybody's gonna like me or like how I'm perceived, but I'm gonna come from truth. Yeah. When I see someone coming from truth, regardless of perception, I'm fully inspired. That's awesome. I love that. We, we got to get you out of here. So it's the last question yeah. I generally ask. And I think, you know, I got to have you back at some point, man, just because I know that there's other places that you're going to grow to. And I'm just inspired hearing that um, and the fact that you're facing your challenges head on. Um, I live the same way. You know what I mean? And, and you do a great job. Like nobody would know that you just, and I'm not saying you have a fear of public speaking, but nobody would know that you're, that's probably like something that you're not fully comfortable in doing and sitting in front of a, 1100 people to do but you're just kind of facing it head-on um, I love that that's inspiring you're 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 you've gotten to a lot of great places and you've done a, a lot of great things and uh, I love the fact that you're able to just kind of build off of being a creative and and really just kind of letting things flow so what with that being said like I said I gotta have you back at some point we'll figure it out um, in, in the next few months what does being a creative mean to you being, being a creative or being creative to me is about fearlessly expressing your true nature. Mm. Hmm. That's sick. Okay. Okay. I like that. Short and sweet. That's perfect. <laughs> That's perfect. Real quick, tell us, you have anything fun and exciting coming up that anybody should know about? Where can we find MediClub? Where can we find Big Quiet? What are your socials? Where can we find you at? Cool. So to learn more about the Big Quiet, our website is bigquiet.nyc. To learn more about MediClub, we don't have a website, but if you Google the words Medi, M-E-D-I, and Club, two words, uh, there's a blog post that comes up that I wrote where you can sign up and learn about MediClub. And uh, our next MediClub is on May 3rd. And my, uh, my handles are all at Jesse Israel, J-E-S-S-E-I-S-R-A-E-L. Perfect. And the last plug that I'll make is that um, I speak at corporations about community building and human connection. And uh, it's a part of this work that I really love doing. Awesome, awesome. So I, I we'll definitely have that in the show notes. Um, I definitely wanna have you be a part of like the programming and, and just incorporate you wherever I can. And I'm just grateful that you were able to take some of your, your time and I know you're a busy guy to, to sit down with me and chat. And like I said, I definitely gotta have you back on at some point. So thank I would, you. I would love to come back and, and do a round two. And I just want to take a moment to express my appreciation for your questions. No problem. It's a, it's a treat to be able to talk about this stuff, especially yeah. given like the, the usual questions. 
that, I, that you know that people are maybe faced with, with press and stuff like that. Uh, you've got a gift yourself for for having this conversation because Thank right you. now I was feeling kind of low before. I'm meeting and now I'm feeling connected to my shit. Good. And I'm fired up and I'm ready for the night. So thank you, homie. As you should, man. As you should. Thank you. And guys, again, if you want to hit Jesse up, he gave you all the socials. Please do. Please continue to leave feedback. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Please leave ratings on iTunes. It's greatly appreciated because it creates more visibility for the show, for people like Jesse. Um, and if you have any questions, you need help with anything creatively, don't hesitate to hit me up. It's IAN at IAN, the letter D. Co and my socials are always creative underscore Ian um, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that. So until the next episode, which is going to be really, really dope as well. Uh, we'll see you guys later. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jesse. Uh, we're out.